Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41. It says, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And when Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. It's bad news when you lose Jesus. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him. They took three days journey back to Jerusalem. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching everywhere. But why did you need to search? He asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Verse 52, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Lord, would you bless the reading of your word this morning in Jesus name? Amen. You can be seated. I love this story in scripture. Uh, Luke chapter two, normally when we read it, we focus on the first part of Luke chapter 2 on the Christmas story. And we've just gotten out of a season of Christmas, and, 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 and that's a great thing to read that part of the story, but sometimes we get to the manger and then we stop reading. You know, we, we like Christmas, we like Easter, but all that stuff in between, you know, we kind of don't tend to focus on. But the next episode in Jesus' life in, in the book of Luke, after, uh, after he goes into the temple as a baby, and I preached last week on Anna and Simeon being there and, and, and prophesying the arrival of the Messiah. The next episode we see, fast forward 12 years, when Jesus is a 12-year-old boy on a journey to Jerusalem for Passover with his parents. And I love this story because to me, I see the humanity of Jesus in this story. When you read it, uh, I, I read about a little boy who's playing with friends and maybe with cousins, a, a little boy who gets curious and wanders off and, and, and kind of does his own thing and kind of forgets to follow along with his parents. And, and I just kind of, I imagine a 12-year-old Jesus who's very curious, very inquisitive, and just kind of, as boys do, just get distracted, <laughs> and he ends up not missing the the wagon train that's leading town and in Jerusalem by himself. And it's almost like home alone, but Jesus style, you know, like where he just gets left behind and it's just, he, he's, he's by himself and, and what he ends up doing. And I, you know, sometimes we focus so much on, and this is true, God, Jesus is fully God and fully man, but we, we forget to emphasize He's, he's a man. He's a boy. He grew up just like you and I did. He was raised by parents just like you and I did. He was a curious, inquisitive, adventurous boy who just drifted off from mom and dad. I love that. I love reading and getting glimpses of what Jesus is really like, you know, and, and getting past just the King James English that we learned in the these and the thous and getting down to who Jesus really is. I, I love that story because of that. But then you, you read the story and 
Somehow, Mary and Joseph, and I've heard people blame Mary and Joseph for losing track of Jesus, but have you ever tried to keep track of a 12-year-old boy? You know? They're tough to keep track of sometimes. And so... You read it, and and Jesus, somehow, he stays behind. Maybe he did it intentionally. Maybe it was just curiosity that kind of distracted him a little bit. Maybe Jesus was a little ADD. I I don't know. But, but, But he's left behind, and they're going down the road. They're like halfway home. And they just assume, because this was the culture at the time, that the whole family raised a child. The, The whole community raised a child. So they just assume, well, he's in a wagon a few wagons back with the cousins and they're playing and, and have adventure and we'll see them when we get there, you know, and they're just, it's different than helicopter parenting today. You know what I'm saying? They're just trusting that the community I came with is going to make sure that we get our kid back. And then so, so he, they're just assuming he's out playing with cousins, he's out with friends and he's on the wagon train with us and he's going to make it back. And, and so he's out there and, and, but then they start to get worried because it's been a while and they haven't seen or heard from him. You know, 12 year old boys get hungry and he hadn't come home for lunch or supper. And so they start to panic. And you can read in the story the panic that they must have had when they couldn't find Jesus. I mean, come on, Mary, you had one job. Raise the Messiah. <laughs> raise the Son of God. That's your one job in life is to raise this kid and make sure he grows up. And she's lost him. And there's this panic that, that goes on. And they, they search all the wagons on the, on the trail and they can't find him anywhere. And they ask all the little cousins and all the aunts and uncles. And, and they say, have you seen Jesus? And no one can find Jesus. And there's just a panic when they've lost Jesus. When you don't have Jesus, the state of panic. And the state of distress that you can be in. Where is Jesus? I've lost him. I can't, I need Jesus. And the panic and the distress that they had to have experienced when they didn't have him with them. What about the world today that's living in that same kind of distress and panic that they just assume Jesus is with them? And they just assume that Jesus is going to follow them where they go. And then they turn around and realize, oh, Jesus isn't with me. And the panic and despair that you would experience when you realize, oh, I thought I was with them the whole time, but I left him behind. The panic and the distress. And I love what they do when they realize they've gone gone one direction and Jesus isn't with them. They have to turn around and go a different direction to find Jesus. Come on, that'll preach right there. If you're going down one road and you're saying, you know what, I think this is the right path, but I've discovered as I go down the path, the Lord isn't with me. God isn't with me. God isn't leading me. God isn't directing me. Jesus isn't with me. Then guess what? It's never too late to stop and turn around and go back to where you lost Jesus and find him again and put him back in your life and make sure he's where he's supposed to be and you're where you're supposed to be. It's never too late. And then I love this story because when they realize in the panic, they, they go and they search all the wagons and he's not there. And they ask all the friends and all the family and all the aunts and uncles and he's not there. They make the journey back to Jerusalem and the Bible says they search for three days. You know, if they say if you watch any true crime you know, shows or listen to the podcast, they say, that, you know, the first 24 to 48 hours is the most important. Well, they've gone three days. They're past the 48 hour mark and they can't find Jesus And the last place they looked 
was the temple. Where did they discover Jesus? Where did they find the Lord? They found him in the Father's house. They found him in the temple. They found him in the house of the Lord. In our day, the house of God, the house of the Lord, the temple, is not a building. Some churches might call themselves a temple, and there are different religions that talk about temples, but in our day, as New Testament believers, the house of the Lord is not the bricks and mortar of this building. The house of the Lord is not the drywall and the studs and the doors and the shingles on the roof. and That's not the house of the Lord. In our day, the house is a family. The house is a family. In fact, if you look up the word house in the dictionary, you will find that really the word house does not just refer to a physical structure, but it refers to the family that live in the structure. So even in the scripture, you will read things like about King David and you will read about the house of David. But when it's talking about the house of David, it's not talking about the palace that he lived in. It's talking about King David's family and his lineage and the children that came after him to sit on the throne. It's called the house of David. If you're talking about any kind of king or queen and you were talking about their family, you would talk about the royal household. They would, you know, like the Queen of England, she's uh, the head of the house of Windsor. And if you study history, there's the Tudor house and the house of, uh, of Saxe-Coburg and different things where the house wasn't talking about the palace they lived in. The house is talking about the family that they lead. You hearing me? So when we're looking for Jesus, we go and look for Jesus in the house of the Lord, but the house of the Lord isn't necessarily a church. The house of the Lord is a family. It's a group of people who are led by the Lord. Who are, who are ruled over by the Lord. If you're looking for Jesus, look for His house. If you're looking for Jesus, look for where He lives. And yes, I believe that when we come together in this room, He shows up and His presence is here. But if a tornado came and blew this building away, you and I could still meet on this piece of land and He would still show up whether there was a building here or not. Come on. It's not about the building. It's the family of God. It's the people. Where did they discover Jesus? In the house of the Lord. I think sometimes we look for Jesus in all the wrong places. And if we would just get plugged in to the house, we'd find him. This story um, in Scripture looks, there's two things that really stand out to me. Number one is this idea of the commitment to the house. The commitment to the house. See, there was Joseph and Mary's commitment to the house. It starts off, the scripture says that every year, every year, Joseph and Mary made the journey to the temple, to the house of the Lord for worship during the Passover festival. And we know that they didn't just only go for Passover because we looked at last week where they took Jesus to the temple in order to dedicate him to the Lord. And so I preached last week about how Mary and Joseph, they were faithful to God's word and obeying God's word and worshiping God in the way that the Bible prescribed them to worship. And so Joseph and Mary, they were regulars in the house. How many knows it's important to be regular in the house of the Lord? 
It's important to be regular in the house of the Lord. They fulfilled God's word when it required them to be in the house. They made sure, listen, that their children were in the house. We know four Gospels that not only did Mary and Joseph travel to the temple on the high holy days of the Jewish calendar, but later in Scripture, you'll see Mary regularly meeting in the local synagogue, hearing and being taught the Word of God. I thought about at the age of 12, Jesus had been raised in such a way that He had been such a frequent visitor to the temple that He knew how to navigate the busy streets of Jerusalem to find His way to the house of God. They had raised their son in such a way that he knew how to get to God's house and how to get in God's presence. This morning, I was praying and meditating over this message and and over this scripture. And I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, raise your daughter in a way that even if she were suddenly left on her own, she'd know how to get to God's house. In Jewish tradition, when a child reaches the age of 12 or 13, they celebrate, uh, uh, if you're a boy, a bar mitzvah, if you're a girl, a bat mitzvah. And, and, and they, that's what their, their initiation into adult life is the bar mitzvah or the bat mitzvah. Uh, bar means son, bat means daughter, and mitzvah means commandment. And so when you're a, a Jewish child who turns 12 or 13, you uh, go through bar mitzvah. You become a son of the commandment. You become a daughter of the commandments. And so the, the tradition of bar or bat mitzvah is that it is saying that by age uh, 12 or 13, you were old enough to be subject to God's laws. It means that you were old enough to be held accountable for your choices and held accountable for what you ought to know. And, and by 12 or 13, that meant that they expected parents to have taught their child by the age of 12 or 13 so much of God's word that they would be accountable to God's word and that you would know the law, that you would know right from wrong, that you would know what God expects of you and that you're able mentally and spiritually to make good decisions at 12 or 13 years old. That was the belief. You know, our culture, we've extended adolescence and we say, well, 25, maybe they'll figure it out. You know, that kind of thing. Some, you know, some of us, we got still got kids living in our basement, 25 and 30 years old. But in, in these days, in Jesus day, at 12 or 13, you were considered a man. And the reason they were able to commission their children at such a young age is because for the first 12 or 13 years, they were intentional about training up their child so that when they reach that age, they'd be ready. So when Jesus is 12 years old, he's getting very close to that age of accountability, but he's not quite finished that formal education and the scriptures. Yet when he goes to the temple and, he, and the priests are there and the scribes of the law, they're amazed at his knowledge and they're amazed at his wisdom with which he teaches and talks about the word of God. Now remember this, remember I said Jesus is God fully, but he's also fully man. He, he's completely a human little boy. And so he had to have learned what he learned. He had to have learned the scripture. He had to have learned the word of God, just like anyone else. Where did he learn it? His parents. 
His parents being faithful to the house of God. His parents being faithful to make sure their house was a house of God. His parents being faithful to make sure he knew the word, that he knew the scriptures, that he was in God's presence. They were committed to God's house and they were committed to making sure their child was raised in God's house. So there's a commitment to the house, not just Mary and Joseph, but Jesus was committed to the house. When Mary and Joseph, they find their son in the temple, his mother does what any mother would have done in that situation. The first thing she had to have done is go up and give him a big bear hug and cry tears of relief and joy. Oh my goodness, I found my son and this is such a great thing, I found him. And then immediately she gave him a lecture. (laughs) Any mother would have done the same thing. I'm so glad you're safe. Now I'm going to smack you for what you did, you know? And she says, son, why would you do this to me and your father? We've been searching for you for days. How could you do this? We've been worried sick over you. You're literally the son of God. You're literally the savior of the world. You literally ought to know better. (laughs) That's her lecture she gives him in my translation. Don't you ever do that again, Jesus. Imagine telling Jesus, don't ever do that. Jesus' response reveals his commitment to God's house. He says, but why did you need to search? You should have known where to find me. Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? I must be in my father. For Jesus, it wasn't an option where he would be. He knew where he needed to be. He knew where he was supposed to be. Jesus says, I'm so committed to serving my Father that if you ever need me, but you can't seem to find me, you can always find me in my Father's house. You can always find me in the house of God. Can I tell y'all, every human being goes through life searching for certain basic needs. We all need basic food and shelter, of course. But beyond those basic material needs, even psychologists will tell you that just as important as your basic physical needs are needs like relationship, peace in the home, love, and acceptance. Those are just as vital to development as a human being. And people will do the craziest, people will do the dumbest things to get someone to love them, to accept them, or to care for them. And we will search high and low for love. We will search high and low for the right relationship. We will compromise and do crazy dumb things in order to get someone to love us and care for us and be in relationship for us with us. But in reality, Jesus has everything that we need. He is the Prince of Peace. He is love in the flesh. He is a friend to the sinner, a brother to the lonely, and a father to the fatherless. But we tend to look for love in all the wrong places. But Jesus says here, if you need what I've got, you can always find me in God's house. He says, I am eternally committed to my house. Even when my house isn't committed to me, I am eternally committed to it. And remember, when we get to the New Testament, the house is no longer a building. It's a family. It's the body of believers. It's you and I. It's the sum total of all the people who ever have lived and are living as following Him as Christ and Lord in their life. The church is the temple. The body of believers is His family. It's His house. It's not the building we sit in. It's the family we're adopted into. 
And Jesus says, if you want peace, if you want love, if you want to find acceptance and and relationship and forgiveness, if you don't have a family, but you need a family, if you don't have a home, but you need a home, if you don't have a food, but you need to eat, I've got everything you need in my house. Jesus taught his disciples later on when speaking of the church, the body of believers, he said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill. Say that with me. Say, I am a light of the world. I'm a city set on a hill. Listen, we are supposed to shine bright in the darkness. What that means is the world can be cold and the world can be dark and people can try to go through life and they'll, they're, they're lacking relationship and they're lacking love and they're lacking acceptance and they're lacking a family. But we are the light set up on a hill and if we would shine in dark places, people would come to us looking for warmth. People would come to us looking for life. We talk a lot about especially about uh, around the Christmas season of ultimately how God came to earth in Christ and, and born as a man, Jesus. He came so that he could die and, and, and coming so he could die on a cross for our sins. And, and that's so true. But, you know, I've heard it preached. Jesus was born so that he could die. And that is true. But it's also true that Jesus was born to show us how to live. His example, even as a young boy, was to show us how to live our lives. And isn't it interesting that his knee-jerk reaction, even as a 12-year-old boy, when he had some free time, the place that his 12-year-old feet led him was the house of the Lord, was to his father's house. I believe that this passage of Scripture about Christ's early life, it's teaching us this morning a profound truth. Live your life in such a way that you're just naturally committed to God's house. Living our lives in such a way that we're just naturally committed to God's house. So much so that it's just second nature to be in God's house with God's people. I saw on social media recently a little post that said, church should be your reason for missing everything else. I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning, y'all are here. But maybe there's someone watching or someone listening, or maybe next Sunday you'll be tempted to sleep in. And the Lord will remind you, church should be your reason for missing everything else. I'm not saying you can't do anything else. Don't hear me. I believe in fun. I believe in playing sports and being involved in the community and being involved with family and all that kind of stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying God's house comes first. It's totally acceptable. Somebody needs to hear this one. It's totally acceptable to tell the coach, I'm sorry, my daughter won't be at that game. That's a Sunday and church comes first. Totally acceptable. I'm sorry, coach. Practice is on a Wednesday, but we have church on Wednesday. Is there any way we can work something out? Totally acceptable. Completely acceptable. In fact, dare I say necessary. It's totally acceptable to tell your family, I can't wait to get together with y'all this weekend and spend time together as a family. Church starts at 1030. Y'all meet me there and then we'll go eat lunch after. Oh, you, you wouldn't like to come to church? Okay, well, church gets out at 12. I'll meet you afterwards. Totally acceptable. In fact, it's a witness to people to say, you know what? God starts my week off first. 
God, God is part of my week first. Jesus taught us that being in God's house ought to be second nature to us. And that everything else, even family expectations, come second. And you say, well, I want to spend time with family. We'll bring them to church. It's that simple. The writer of Hebrews put it this way, Hebrews 10.25. Let us not neglect meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Commandment from Scripture, do not neglect meeting together. Don't neglect coming together as a family and meeting together in worship, but encourage one another, especially as we believe that we are living in the last days. And as we believe that the world is around us is turning further and further away from Christ, that means so much more we have to double down and make God's house a priority and be sure we're not neglecting. Have you ever noticed that sometimes the people that are real... Uh, real invested in figuring out the end time stuff and that are real, you know, like those people, you know, that are watching the news and all that kind of stuff, they're usually not committed to church. Most of the ones I've met that are so concerned, is Jesus coming back today? Is the, you know, last year it was, is the swab the mark of the beast? And this year it's the, is the vaccine the mark of the beast? And, you know, is, is, you know, what's going on with the president and who's going to have a, military coup and all that kind of stuff and the bible says this blah 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 and the news said that blah 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 most of those people they're not committed to the church they're committed to drama and they're committed to stirring up mess but the bible says if you really believe that stuff that the end is near and that jesus is coming back which he is come on i preached about a couple weeks ago he is then be sure you're not neglecting the house of the lord don't neglect coming together Now, all that's about the commitment to the house. Now, let me teach you about the blessing of the house. Psalm 84. Psalm 84. I'm going to read you the whole psalm. It's in your notes, and uh, you you can follow along on the screen as well. The psalmist says this, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. This is a psalm about the temple. It's a psalm about being in God's presence, in God's house. I long, yes, faint for, with longing for the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully for the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow builds her nest and raises her young at a place near your altar. It's a good idea to raise your young right near the altar. O Lord of heaven's armies, my King and my God, what joy for those who can live in your house, always singing your praises. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. They will continue to grow stronger and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. O Lord God of heaven's armies, hear my prayer. Listen, O God of Jacob. Look with favor upon the king, our shield. Show favor to the one you've anointed. A single day in your courts. A single day in church is better than a thousand anywhere else. I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. Modern day translation, I'd rather scrub toilets at church then be away from God. For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. 
O Lord of heaven's armies, what joy for those who trust in you. So there's a commitment required to the house of the Lord. But there's a blessing that comes from being in the house of the Lord. The blessings of the house. Here's just a few I saw in that psalm just now. The blessings of the house. Number one, a home for the homeless. He said even the homeless sparrow and even the homeless, homeless birds can find a home in God's presence. Listen, if you don't have a healthy family, if you don't have a healthy home life, my prayer is, is that Believer's Fellowship will become your family. My prayer is, is that we will become your household. We will become the place where you feel safe. We will become the place where you feel loved. Another thing I saw, that, that being in the blessing of God's house is it's a safe environment to raise your family. It's a place where you can bring your kids and know they will be brought up in the way they should go. They'll be taught the Word of God. They'll have spiritual mothers and fathers who will love on them and care for them and bless them. It's an environment where you can raise your family. Uh, number three, joy will be found in God's house even in times of trouble and sadness and in sorrow. Listen, you can come in here on a Sunday morning after the worst week of your life, but you get in God's presence and you hear the worship and you hear the Word and God will restore joy even in the valley of weeping even when things have been tough even when things have been hard even when things have felt dark God can fill up your joy tank this morning in his presence in his house before the blessing of God's house is you'll get strength when you're weak Sometimes the battles of life can weaken you and you go out week to week and, and you can get beat up and you can be beat down. But when you come and hear my prayer every week, when you come is that God, give me a word that would bring strength to the people. Lord, bring your presence in here that would bring strength to the people. Blessing of God's house is refreshing even in the valley of weeping. He says you can be refreshed this morning if you would make a commitment to the house of God. Number six, prayers are answered when you commit to the house of the Lord. That's in verse eight. Number seven, there's favor with God when you commit to the house of the Lord. There's a blessing that he wants to pour out. Number eight, God shields us and protects us when we commit to the house of the Lord. And number nine, the end of that psalm ends with God saying, I will withhold no good thing from those who have committed themselves to the house of the Lord. There's a commitment, yes, but there's a blessing that comes out of the commitment. And I heard the Holy Spirit speak this to me and said, if you skip out on the commitment, you miss out on the blessing. If you skip out on the commitment, you miss out on the blessing. We live in a culture that's very anti-commitment. You, you know, I mean, and not even, I'm not even just talking about church world stuff. I, you know, in our culture, I even heard this quite recently, um, a family member telling a uh, a, a young person in their family, you know, uh, you can get married, but just don't get pregnant because marriage is temporary, but that child, you, that's permanent. And, you know, that's the kind of commitment realm that we're in, that marriage isn't even a commitment anymore. Um, you know, there's studies even that 50 years ago, when you got a job, you got hired onto a company and you would just stay with that company for 50 years until you retired. That was the way you did it. And now it's saying that millennials and Gen Z, they're switching jobs every two or three years. You know, there's not even a commitment to, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that, you know, there used to be commitment. In the church world, there used to be commitment to your church. You know, that, that, you know, that that's the church you went to and 
you just stuck it out and that was where you went and that was your church. Or, or even if you moved, you, there was commitment to your particular denomination. We're a Baptist, so we're going to go to the Baptist church. We're Pentecostal, so we'll go. You know, there was commitment. To, now studies are finding from the Barna group and different studies that there's no commitment to a certain church or certain denomination. You just go with, with what's relevant. We, we live in it. What I'm trying to tell you is, is that we as a culture have commitment issues. Commitment's a dirty word in our culture. You know, well, yeah, I'd like to help you, Pastor, but don't count on me. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'd like to serve on Wednesdays, but, you know, if I don't have anything better going on. That kind of thing. I'm not getting on to you. I'm just saying this is the culture. It's not just our church. It's every church. It's everywhere. And I believe that the Lord is saying, if you want the blessing of the house... You've got to be committed to the house. Committed to the house in your time, in your tithe, in your, in your service, in, in your worship. Uh, committed that even when your, your toes get stepped on, that you're going to come back. Even when someone hurts your feelings, that you know, you'll just accept that people are imperfect and you'll still love them and you'll walk through it with grace and with mercy and forgiveness and you'll work through it and follow a biblical model. But, but we live in a culture where if it gets uncomfortable, I'll just move on. And I, I, I'm saying to someone that I don't even know why I'm saying this. This isn't in my notes. I'm saying to someone, when it gets tough in church, if you'll stay committed, there's a blessing that's waiting for you. If you'll stick it through when someone hurts your feelings or when you don't like the music, or you don't like the color of the carpet, or you, or, or you don't like what was preached, or, or, or whatever. If you'll stick it through, if you'll work it out, if you'll follow a biblical model for conflict, if you'll be committed and still keep giving and still keep serving, there is a blessing that God has for you in your house when you're committed to His house. That's the word of the Lord for you today. Don't skip out on the commitment. I was... Um, we're, we're friends with or acquaintances with a couple that are missionaries in Africa. And uh, I probably shouldn't say their name because we're live streaming, but they're in a sensitive area in West Africa, which is, can be a very dangerous area um, for Christians and for missionaries. And so I, I won't say their name publicly, but a few months back, um, the, the gentleman that's a missionary, he, he posted a little video from a church service and uh, I, just go ahead and play that, Deb. Let, let's take a look at that. I don't know if there's volume, but you see uh, there's a, several little boys there. They're in a church service. This is, they're sitting in the back, and um, they're, they're singing, and they're clapping and worshiping, and they're probably, I don't know, seven, eight years old, that kind of thing. And the caption with this video, uh, the missionary, he said, this morning, it's a Sunday morning, I went and I drove the truck around the village to pick up people and invite them to church. And he said, these six or, six or so young boys, they, they were late to the pickup spot and they, they missed the truck. And he said, but when I got to church, we started the service and a few moments later, those six or seven boys walked in. They had walked two miles barefoot to be in church that Sunday. They were committed to the house. They walked. In the heat, they walked with no shoes on and said, I've got to get to the house of the Lord. And you can't tell me 
that that kind of commitment won't bring a blessing in those boys' lives as they begin to follow the Lord and hear the gospel and be formed and shaped by the word of God. I want to ask you this morning, are you that committed? Are you that committed to God's house? Are you that committed that if you, if you next Sunday morning, your truck wouldn't start, but it was cold outside, would you bundle up and walk here if you had to? Here's the deal. You wouldn't have to. Somebody would come get you. But I'm asking you, are you that committed? Because if you are, I promise you, according to God's word, and I'm not, it's not my promise, it's his promise. If you'll commit yourself to this house, he'll commit himself to bless your house. That's the word of God for you this morning. Would you stand with me?